Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.56 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 11th of December, 2020. This is episode 338 of Bitcoin and what a dump. Oh, ow. Oh, it's got to hurt. Well, if you're a newbie, yeah, this shit hurts. If you're relatively even remotely close to kind of old primary, uh, yeah, this is sort of like Tuesday kind of thing. <laughs> but it it's... The dump has gone down. Let's see where are we where are we at right now. We're at like somewhere around seventeen thousand six hundred and fifty ish, somewhere somewhere like that. So yeah, you seen damn near a two was it be an eighteen hundred point drop from you know sort of the the kind of the high, the local high of nineteen six or whatever. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty ugly. But you know what may be even uglier are people that loan their Bitcoin as collateral, especially since, uh, you know, you you take out X amount of dollars. Thank God that if you're going to do this kind of thing, a lot of places ask you to over collateralize your Bitcoin uh, in case shit like this happens. However, on a dump like this, it does make me wonder if people got their loans if they got emails saying dude you're gonna have to give us some more bitcoin for collateral on that loan that you got this is exactly why i don't do that kind of kind of stuff i just don't It, it doesn't make any plausible sense to me this is not the kind of market that i want collateral you know if if my collateral depends on the way the market's going this is not the market that i would use for uh uh that my collateral depends on to secure a loan. It doesn't make any sense. This is one of the reasons why I highly, you know, unless you just absolutely have to, or unless you've got other plans, something that, that, you know, I don't know about. If you can just don't risk your Bitcoin, maybe later. Okay. A lot of this stuff uh, can come later when things kind of settle down, but man, Whew, this is not the, the, I would just hate to be looking at my email right about now saying you got to give over even more Bitcoin. Yeah, that would suck. Speaking of insurance, insurance company Mass Mutual buys $100 million worth of Bitcoin. BTC Times and Nick Chong writing yesterday is going to tell us about it. As first noted by Grayscale Director Phil Bonello, or Bonello, as the pronunciation may be, Mass Mutual recently purchased $100 million worth of Bitcoin, assuming it bought the cryptocurrency at its current price, $18,150. Again, this was yesterday. That would mean the insurance company purchased 5,510 BTC. 
Mass Mutual, also known as the Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company, is a life insurance provider servicing 5 million clients. It was founded in 1851. Let that sink in. 1851. Wikipedia says its revenue in 2016 was nearly $30 billion. How come you can't go to the SEC files to pull out what it actually says? Why the hell are you going to Wikipedia for this? Oh, well, as an insurance company, Mass Mutual naturally has a large amount of capital on its balance sheet. The company held $675 billion as of 2016. The Bitcoin investment uh, only represents a small portion of that capital. According to a recently published story by the Wall Street Journal, Mass Mutual purchased the coins via NYDIG. As reported, the previous the BTC Times previously reported rather Stone Ridge Asset Management, which owns a large part of NYDIG, purchased one hundred million dollars worth of bitcoins in October. NYDIG is a custody and trade execution service for institutional clients looking to purchase Bitcoin. NYDIG founder Ross Stevens told the journal that other return hungry insurance companies have also bought Bitcoin for their general accounts through this firm. Stevens did not name those companies. These purchases come as the returns offered by other classes, namely bonds, have dropped dramatically, sometimes even into the negative. Bitcoin may offer these insurance companies a hedge against monetary inflation and a way to hedge negative interest rates. Ah, insurance. Isn't that just great? I don't know, man. You know, it's it's weird that we're getting all these buy signals from institution, and yet we see dumps. Something's going on. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's good or bad. It just seems kind of a little bizarre to me that if you got all these institutions buying fairly large stacks all at once of Bitcoin, and we've already suffered from the fact that there's not a whole lot of these things to buy up, it makes one wonder what the hell's going on. So either somebody is, you know, a whole bunch of people are really confident in their trading skills and they're purposely dumping to set the price off so they can scoop up more at the bottom. You got to be supremely confident of that because you never know what the market's going to do to your ass when you, when you do things like that. So I'm just, I'm just saying, man, it seems like very dangerous thing to do, but hey, if you are a trader and that's what you do, you 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 go right ahead. <clears throat> Crypto startup BitPay files to become a federally regulated U.S. bank. This was back on December the 9th. Coindesk's Nicholas Day is going to tell us about it. According to a December 8th legal notice, Published by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, BitPay has applied to the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency to organize a federally regulated bank, dubbed the BitPay National Trust and Bank, headquartered in Georgia. The news was first reported by The Block. The filing calls for a 30-day comment period with comments to be directed to the OCC licensing director. Uh, OCC acting comptroller Brian Brooks announced earlier this year he would seek to set up licensing framework for fintech startups, including crypto firms, to streamline their operations within the United States. At present, crypto exchanges and other digital payment firms typically must acquire money transmitter licenses in each of the United States and territories in which they hope to operate. According to BitPay's application, the total capitalization its national bank would receive for shares issued would fall just under $12 million with 120 million shares to be issued. 
By becoming a national bank, companies like BitPay could bypass the state-by-state regime. The acting comptroller said in September his agency would be ready to begin processing applications more recently. He told CNBC the crypto space could be expected to see additional good news at the year end. However, his move has sparked pushback from banks and Democrat lawmakers who see his focus on crypto as excessive and deregulatory. Oh, Lord. Last week, Maxine Waters, who chairs the House Financial Services Committee, wrote a letter to incoming President Joe Biden asking him to overturn a number of actions conducted by his predecessor's agency heads, including all of Brooks's crypto actions. Jeez, Maxine, you just want to keep people poor, don't you? It's unclear whether Biden will do this at <clears throat> will do so at this time. Brooks is also up to take on a full five-year term at the OCC. President Donald Trump nominated the former Coinbase general counsel to the role last month, though the Senate has yet to announce a confirmation vote. If Brooks is not confirmed, Biden or his designated Treasury Secretary nominee, Janet Yellen, may announce a different name. Representative Rashida Tlaib out of Michigan has also introduced the Stable Act, which would require all stablecoin issuers to secure bank charters. BitPay confirmed the move in an emailed statement, quote, Our operations as a national trust bank will be subject to strict safety and soundness requirements, which will provide our customers with assurances that our services remain best in class and allow us to be subject to a uniform regulatory framework. The statement said, Oh, please regulate me. Regulate me to death. So, yeah, we honestly, we don't really know what the hell is going on at this point. Um, it seems clear, though, that it, it does make sense for these people to, to do this kind of thing if it means that they don't have to do one other thing 50 different times. I mean, seriously, to get a money transmission license in all 50 states seems like it would suck. And if you could jump over that by just becoming a federally regulated bank, that makes sense. But all that really does is X out a whole shit ton of work. But it also does this. You don't have to worry about 50 different uh, compliance letters coming down the pipe every time somebody sneezes, right? So let's say something screws up. Well, you've you've got to figure out a way to explain yourself <clears throat> 50 different times under 50 different reg, you know regulatory frameworks. Whereas with a federally you know federally re- regulated charter bank, you only have to do this once, and that charter takes care of all the 50. You know you you only have to explain yourself once if something screws up. That's what I'm saying. So from from an ease of operations, uh, it it makes a lot of sense. The fact of the matter is, is that it's centralizing all this shit, and that's never going to be good. There will always be a fight on our hands. That's just the way this shit works, it's just, and it's not going to go away. So law, apparently the lawmakers are kind of pissed off at Mnuchin, and they're telling him to back off from potential crypto wallet regulations. This is December the 9th from Coindesk, also from Nicholas Day. Representatives Warren Davidson, Tom Emmer, Ted Budd and Scott Perry uh, sent a letter to Mnuchin on Wednesday expressing our concern about rumored self-hosting wallet regulations Mnuchin apparently intends to implement in the coming weeks. <clears throat> Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong 
tweeted last month that Mnuchin was planning to rush out these new regulations, which would apparently require crypto exchanges to verify know-your-customer data for self-hosted wallets before they could send cryptocurrencies off of their platforms and into the wallets. According to Wednesday's letter, this potential regulation would hinder American leadership, preclude United States actors from participating in the space, and undermine the Treasury Department from stopping illicit actors from exploiting the financial system. Requiring exchanges to maintain this much KYC data could also threaten user privacy, the lawmakers wrote. Rather, the U.S. should have regulatory parity between the traditional financial systems and the crypto ecosystems. Implementing regulations around self-hosted wallets might have the unintended effect of turning anyone who currently uses one into a criminal, the letter added. Well, that's exactly what they want. And not just not just for this, not just uh, this is me talking now. Not they don't want to turn everybody into criminals just because they're using crypto. No, no, no. It doesn't matter what we're doing. They want to turn us all into criminals. It's so much easier when you have leverage against your citizenry, and that leverage right now is coming in the form of just turn them all into criminals, scare the living piss out of them, and they'll fall in line. Because we're, you know, it's becoming evident that people are becoming more and more pissed off. When I say a fight is coming, not only do I mean a fight is coming about Bitcoin. It's coming, at least in the United States, it's coming on all fronts. There's a fight on all fronts that are coming. And when you take into consideration the rest of the planet, everybody is spoiling for a fight. I don't think, I mean, I know in my lifetime, I've never seen this. <clears throat> and I don't think anybody else, even, you know, like my, grand, my grandmother, who, you know, passed away years ago, I don't think she ever saw this. And if it was happening, nobody really knew about it because we did not have instantaneous, real-time communication channels like we do today. So, therefore, we wouldn't know about it, Right. Well, we know about this. We see the yellow vest, you know, stuff going on in France. We see, you know, the Egyptian spring or the Arab spring. We see stuff going on in Crimea. We, I mean, we see it all in real time. And it looks to me like everybody on the planet, especially the citizenry, is pissed off. It looks like every government on the planet is trying to make criminals out of their citizenry. Figure it out. You know, at what point do you allow this shit to, or, you know, at what point do we stop allowing this shit to occur is all I'm saying. You got 7.8 billion people on the planet. In comparison, it's a handful of world leaders. Figure it out. I don't know, man. Just saying here. In a statement published online, Davidson said that before Treasury issues midnight rules on the regulation of self-hosted wallets, Secretary Mnuchin should come to the People's House and speak to representatives about what his regulators would do. Quote, Over-regulating self-hosted wallets will crush a nascent industry and leave the United States behind the rest of the world when it comes to harnessing the power of blockchain and cryptocurrency, he added. This is the second letter most of these lawmakers sent Wednesday. Earlier in the day, Emmer led a letter uh, sent to Securities and Exchange Commission Chairman Jay Clayton asking the securities regulator to create some clear guidance on crypto industry or crypto custody and direct the financial industry regulatory authority to approve broker deal dealers from the space. Clayton intends to step down from his role at the end of 2020. Yeah, so self-hosted wallet can only mean <clears throat> I hold my private keys. 
and this is a, this is part of the fight that I keep saying is was coming. Um, I've been saying it for a while, but you know, I didn't. I don't. You know, never said what form it was going to take, but it's. It doesn't matter what form it takes. It's a fight, and so wh- what are you? What are you going to do here? <clears throat> you know, when they confiscated the gold under Executive Order sixty one oh two, I've heard stories that they sent. You know, treasury agents around the country to, uh, you know, somehow or another track down the people that had gold. My question is, how did they know that they had gold? In our case, it's probably a little bit more, uh, uh, I guess, a little easier to find out because if you bought on a, you know, a regulated uh, on ramp and you KYC'd yourself, you can track that. Okay, well, so what? You know, I mean, how do you know that I still have it? You can't prove it. Again, you cannot, it's impossible to prove a negative. So what are you going to do? Are you just, are you just going to walk to the door when treasury shows up and says, here, take all my Bitcoin or here, here's, you know, I'm just going to hand over my, my private keys to you. Or are you going to gut up, sack up, spine up, man up, and just tell them to fuck straight off. It's none of their business. And unless they prove it in a court of law, they can go get bent. I mean, which one are you going to do? At one point or another, we're going to have to stand up to these people. And not just in the case of cryptocurrency. In all cases where we see tyrannical overreach. What's going on here is a fucking tyranny. right? Your United States government that is so beloved is acting like a dictator. And I ain't talking about Orange Man. I'm talking about the whole thing. From the legislative to the executive to the lobbyist, to all their friends and corporations, to all their friends and corporate media, the whole system has become a tyrant. It's time for it to end, but there's only one way it ends. You tell them to fuck straight off. Will some people go to jail? Yeah. Will I go to jail? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but at one point or another, this shit's got to stop. You can't live like this. The human species is not meant to live like this. It's not. And if we continue to let it live like this under the yoke of this crap, then we are all morally dubious. We're ethically duplicitous in, in our own chaining. Is that what you want to You want to die with that on your forehead? You really want to be put in the ground saying he helped the tyranny or she helped the tyranny. Serious, man. At one point or another, you know, I don't know when, I don't know when it is you know, people break. I don't know when that is. I don't know what it takes for a person to actually break, but something's about to break. I just don't know if it's going to break bad or break good. It, I don't know, man. In my case, I view good as standing up to these people and telling them, no, no more. You come this far, you will come no farther. But who is going farther is IOTA's founder, David Sonstabo who basically got ousted from the IOTA Foundation. Yeah, I know, it's a shit coin, but it's funny. Because again, this is, you know, object lessons of why I Bitcoin. Shara Malwa is writing for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. The IOTA Foundation parted ways with IOTA founder David Sonstabo yesterday in a unanimous decision that claimed various divergent interests as the reason behind the move it said in an announcement. Quote, it has become clear that David's interest and the interest of the IOTA Foundation have diverged significantly, the foundation said. <clears throat> Sonstabo founded and introduced IOTA 
back in 2015 as a highly stable blockchain that aimed to record, store, and execute transactions between multiple electronic devices, a type of technological approach properly known, uh, popularly known as the Internet of Things. <laughs> the project's native IOTA tokens were worth $5.25 apiece at their peak in 2017, the height of their popularity. Yeah, guys, I just looked. It's like 24 cents. Just saying. And while IOTA is an open source platform where any developer can commit to work on or propose new ideas that the IOTA Foundation was created in 2018 to oversee the research, education, and standardization of the technology and explore different ways it could be deployed in the real world. However, Sanstabo's broader vision for the project has been different from what the 120-member strong foundation aims for the letter alleged. Quote, there were several instances where David's actions were not aligned with what the foundation stands for and who we aspire to be, it said. With Sanstabo's exit, the original IOTA founding team is down to just two members. Sergey Ivancheglo, who worked with the team in 2015, also departed last year in a controversial move and even called for Sanstabo's resignation at the time. Meanwhile, despite the apparent benevolence, the foundation has attracted widespread criticism in the past because it's a shitcoin, dude. Carlson Wee, founder of crypto fund Polychain Capital, said in 2019 the IOTA network was too centralized as its coordinator nodes, uh, which handle and approve transactions on the network, were held by a single entity, i.e. the foundation. This created a massive single point of failure, he stated at the time. The foundation has since solved that. Well, somewhat. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, this is why Bitcoin, because I, so I don't have to worry about what the hell's going on in IOTA Foundation. I don't own, I don't hold a bag of IOTA, so I don't give a shit what IOTA does. And that gives me peace of mind. All I have to worry about is one thing. All I worry about is what the hell Bitcoin's doing. Sometimes it makes me sad. Sometimes it makes me happy. But either way, I only have to worry about that one thing. I don't give a shit about what Doge is doing, except in comparison to other shit coins, because it's kind of funny <laughs> that a meme coin can be blowing the shit all the time out of Bcash. That's funny. I'm sorry. That's why I do it, because it's funny. And it reminds us that once you enter into the realm of shit coinery, you, you just circle the drain, dude. So, you know, again, this is why Bitcoin report identifies 18 serious non-financial risks for DeFi. Again, this is why Bitcoin. Martin Young, writing for Cointelegraph sometime earlier this morning, a November report by data and research company Brave New Coin has highlighted a number of serious non-financial risks in decentralized finance. The financial risks involved with DeFi have been well documented, but the new report delves into more technical concerns associated with Ethereum-based smart contract finance protocols. The report, penned by BNC analyst Xavier Megan, begins with scalability risks, which anyone dealing with DeFi in September this year will be familiar with. Network congestion resulting in high gas fees and failed transactions can cause DeFi protocols to malfunction or not work as intended. If you mean lose all your money when you say not work as intended, well then yeah, it's not working as intended. During the height of the yield farming frenzy, average Ethereum transaction fees skyrocketed to record figures of around $15. The report cited the Black Thursday event as an example. Quote, We saw this happen on Black Thursday in March 2020 when actors in MakerDAO, or the liquidators, 
could not access auctions to bid on collateral, resulting in collateral being sold for free. Oh, end quote. Numerous smart contract vulnerabilities were cited, including reentrancy risk, which occurs when a contract sends ETH before updating its internal state. The 25 million D-Force attack in April is an example of a reentrancy exploit. Flash loans which were assets that can be borrowed and repaid within the same transactions, can exploit this with notable examples this year, including BZX, Open, Harvest Finance, and more recently, Pickle Finance. Oracles also pose a risk as a smart contract may receive deceitful or inaccurate input regarding off-chain values or asset prices due to the manipulation of information from the provider of a malicious actor. Protocol design can also pose a risk if it can be manipulated to benefit cyber criminals. Composability is a good example of this where a DeFi protocol needs to rely on another protocol to function. The report noted that the money Lego concept of interconnectivity within the ecosystem opens it up to further risk. The current interconnectedness of DeFi is extremely similar to how traditional finance was before the global financial crisis in 2007 and 2008. There is also centralization risk associated with DeFi. If protocols are controlled by a central intermediary or governance is controlled by a few whales. Uniswap's first governance vote was a good example of how a small number of players can attempt to control the outcome. Additionally, the bulk of stablecoins used in DeFi are centralized and controlled by corporations. Reliance on Infura is another one, and as a node infrastructure operator, it's also risky as the industry found out during the minor outage in mid-November. Infura provides cloud-based Ethereum clients so that users do not have to run their own nodes. Oh, God forbid. You can't run your own node. That's why Infura exists, okay? An estimated 63% of the Ethereum community use Infura as their preferred method of interacting with the blockchain. What are the consequences if Infura does not function as expected one day? Yeah, we found that out. The report added that there were several other risks, such as economic incentive risk, financial illiteracy risk, and regulatory risk. It concluded that there was also a risk of more risks being found later, making the entire ecosystem sound like one big financial nightmare. Again, this is why I Bitcoin, y'all. I don't have to worry about any of that shit. Crypto company Paxo supplies, guess what? For national bank charter, if the application is approved, Paxos could become the first digital asset custodian with a national bank trust charter, says Jeff Benson from Decrypt.co sometime on the 9th. Paxos, a stablecoin provider and digital asset company, has applied for a U.S. national trust bank charter with the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. Now, if this sounds like I'm rereading a story, I'm not. Well, it is. It's just a different company. The other one was BitPay. This one, or uh, yeah, BitPay. This one is Paxos. Okay, so everybody's, you know, jumping, you know, jumping to get this national bank charter. To for them, it definitely solves a lot of problems. For me, it creates problems. I will not be using those particular companies. Anyway, that is successful. Paxos, which is already regulated as a trust company in New York, would be the first custodian of digital assets to be regulated at both the state and the federal levels. Paxos General Counsel Dan Burstyn wrote in a blog post today. I guess he's proud of that. The resultant Paxos National Trust would be a subsidiary of a... What? Cabompo. 
Kabampo. Okay, that's interesting. K-A-B-O-M-P-O Holdings, which is incorporated in, guess where? The Cayman Islands. Paxos already does a little bit of everything. It offers cash and stablecoin custody services, lets customers trade crypto through its ItBix, ItBit exchange, issues stablecoins, including BUSD with Binance and Pax, and uses tokenized settlement for commodities trading. Additionally, Paxos's New York charter enables it to provide some fiduciary services. In its OCC filing, Paxos said it will initially conduct only certain activities that are currently conducted by Paxos's New York State Charter Trust Company and supervised by the New York Department of Financial Services. However, it stated, quote, other activities conducted by Paxos affiliates may be migrated to Paxos National Trust over time based on operational, financial, and legal considerations. The filing does not mention its business with PayPal. In October, the payments company tapped Paxos Crypto Brokerage to provide crypto trading services and custody for Bitcoin, Bcash, Ethereum, and Litecoin within the PayPal app. Paxos has competition among its crypto cohort to be the first crypto bank with a national charter. BitPay and Anchorage also have recently applied for federal banking charters, likely heartened by the encouragement of the acting comptroller of the currency, Brian Brooks, who is himself a former Coinbase executive. In an interview last month with Forbes after BitPay and Anchorage's applications were submitted, Brooks indicated that national trust bank charters would be one way for crypto businesses that are currently regulated at the state level to operate nationally without getting a money transition license. Transition transmission he said quote if we have crypto banks which i think we will very shortly we already do dude i think it is in their interest that they will have to comply with one set of rules nationwide that's the way markets grow Uh, currently the two crypto banks set to operate in the u.s avanti financial and kraken financial have wyoming state charters to act as special purpose depository institutions and explaining paxos's move bursting indicated it's really about doing business across state lines with fewer headaches quote our mission is to modernize financial market infrastructure and enable the movements of any asset anytime in a trustworthy way a national trust bank charter would help us realize our goal by enabling us to serve customers across the country in the most efficient way Wow, let's run the numbers. It's the future of energy, given to you by CNBC, Futures and Commodities. Oil is down a scant 0.15%. Brent North Sea is down 0.28. Natural gas swinging to the upside by damn near a full point. Gold is down 0.027, so it's going to come in at $1,836.90. Silver is down a half, uh, platinum is down almost a full point, and copper is down a point and a quarter. Palladium is up a scant. Uh, Let's see, indices, where are my indices? Dow futures is down over half a point, 0.64. S&P futures is down 0.72. NASDAQ futures is down 0.76. S&P Mini is down 1.05. Why do I give you the points? Let me tell you why I give you the points. Whenever I'm listening to the radio and they, quote, uh, do the numbers, either NPR. Yes, I listen to NPR because I listen to enemy radio. You got to listen to the chatter so that you can figure out what, uh, how the uh, masses are going to get lied to today. But they do, they do do the numbers. 
And when they do it, they say shit like the uh, Dow, or they'll say shit like uh, the Dow Industrial Complex is up uh, to like uh, 100 points, but they don't give any other information. You know what 100 points to the upside means to me on Dow Futures when I don't know the total? It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. I have to have both of the numbers to do anything with it, right? I don't know if that's good or bad. Up 100 means jack shit to me. But you know what does mean something to me is when I can just say down a, a percent. What's interesting about that number is that I don't need to know how many you know dollar value it dropped or raised. And I don't need to know the total value of the index. All I need to know is the percentage drop. Isn't that interesting how one number can contain everything you need to know about two separate numbers without understanding what those two separate numbers are? I always kind of found that fascinating, but I digress. Bitcoin, taking it on the chin, bro. $17,671. Looks like I'm going to have a low at GDAC, $17,640. And I've got a high at Simex at $17,693. Lots of activity, 327,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. Uh, That gives us about 16 or 16, 13,600 transactions every hour on the hour per average. And 1.6 million Bitcoin have been sent in that 24-hour period with 67,675 BTC being sent every hour on the hour on average and the average transaction value being 5 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.034 BTC. That is pegged right at 600 bucks. Looks like we might have had a difficulty adjustment. We are at 9 minutes and 40 seconds on block time. 0.5 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 72.5 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Hash rate dropped a point in percentage. We are at 128.35 exahashes per second. Dogecoin is still taking it on the chin. It's dived all the way down to 0.003 USD. And with, but with still uh, 37,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, it's cleaning uh, the clocks of Ethereum Classic. And let's see, yep, Bcash. Oh, Bcash flippened Litecoin apparently in uh, um, in total. Oh God, what am I saying? Market cap uh, switched out on me. Uh, Litecoin, just so if you want to know, is seventy dollars and sixty-seven cents. Bcash is 257, Ethereum is 539, BSV is 160, Ethereum Classic is 577. It looks like everybody's getting dragged through the mud. It ain't just Bitcoin, okay? Just keep that shit in mind. We have 20,000 transactions that are awaiting to get in line on 20, no, yeah, 20 blocks. Uh, this is all according to Clark Moody Dashboard. <clears throat> there is, a, he's got a price of 17,790. He's got a money supply of 18,568,037.9 BTC. Uh, we can only now get 9.7 ounces of gold for one BTC, and that has brought the Bitcoin versus gold market cap down to 2.78%. Market cap of Bitcoin is $330.5 billion. We have 1,073 BTC in the Lightning side of the network, or in sorry, in the Lightning network. And that has capacity value of $19.1 million US. 
We have 7,905 nodes. We have 36,269 channels. The Tor capacity has bumped up to 52%. It's actually at 52.0. And we have 558.45 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. And we're going to start this one off with the fact that Spank Chain doesn't fix this. Yep. MasterCard, Visa, uh, stop payments to Bitcoin friendly Pornhub. Jeff Benson is going to tell us about it here uh, from decrypt.co. This was written sometime yesterday. In the wake of the New York Times investigation that uncovered alleged videos of rape and child abuse on Pornhub, credit card companies MasterCard and Visa announced today that they will no longer process payments for the adult website. Honestly, I'm just going to say this. In this particular case, what did you expect them to do? Okay? I mean, yeah, what did you... you we oh guys see this this is the hard one you know Ray, you can't you, you can't do you can't do this kind of shit you just can't what's surprising to me is that pornhub let this shit slip through its fingers uh you know that's yeah no just just don't okay ah uh, god this is i mean that's that's bad okay I'm just saying. But Bitcoin remains an option, albeit a little advertised one. For Pornhub, which has previously leveraged crypto to manage the fallout with payments company PayPal, the site began accepting Bitcoin and Litecoin for its premium subscription services in September. It already started accepting Verge. Oh, I forgot about Verge. A Dogecoin fork in April of 2018. It also allows webcam models and other entertainers who upload to the site to receive payouts in Tether or Tron. Alternatively, they can sign up for direct deposit through their bank or use Cosmo payment. What they can't do is use PayPal. It stopped accepting payments from the platform in November of 2019. According to Pornhub, Pornhub's blog, PayPal's departure pre uh, precipitated the move to USDT, stablecoin. MasterCard said the move to disable payments for the Pornhub premium subscription is permanent. Visa's move is temporary. Pending on the results of its own investigation, the loss of payment methods may sting Pornhub as it looks to both maintain income and shore up consumers and regulators' confidence in its product. Although it ostensibly be welcomes BTC, LTC, and Verge payments, it hasn't made the process seamless. For one thing, its crypto page hasn't been updated with a Bitcoin and Litecoin addition. A button reading, quote, join Pornhub premium with Verge leads to the standard payment page where users must still enter a credit card to sign up. Who's running the show over there? Jeez, man. With Visa and MasterCard out of the picture, that leaves Discover and JCB, which is Japan Credit Bureau, as remaining credit card options. Uh, Pornhub support page, which deals with technical and billing issues, noted it's receiving high influx of inquiries. Decrypt was unable to confirm questions about payment methods, but Pornhub has more serious legal and ethical problems to deal with. It says it's working to resolve the issues that led to the Visa and MasterCard departures. On December the 8th, it updated its terms of service and issued a statement that read in part, quote, we have always been committed to el el eliminating illegal content, including non-consensual material and child sexual abuse material. To clamp down, it said it will only allow properly identified users to upload content and that ha and that it had expanded its moderation and flagging processes. 
Dude, it sounds like there was nothing to begin with, honestly. And which is odd because Pornhub's been around for years and years and is it seems like it would be at this point fairly large and also come under a fair amount of scrutiny. I'm very I'm actually really not understanding how they let something like this shit slip through their fingers. Seems weird, but hey, that's what happened. So anyway, <laughs> this one is funny. Bitstamp apologizes after posting report calling XRP, quote, toxic waste, end quote. Turner Wright, who's writing for the aforementioned Cointelegraph, says on December the 10th that digital asset exchange Bitstamp has apologized for sharing a crypto market report that it claims does not reflect the firm's views or value. Oh, sorry, Bitstamp said it, not Cointelegraph. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Bitstamp, the exchange. Okay. In a tweet from Bitstamp posted today, the exchange issued an apology for posting research firm Missouri's crypto theses for 2021 report from founder and CEO Ryan Selkis. The report refers to XRP as toxic waste, with Selkis calling Bitcoin forks, stellar lumens, and Litecoin piles of shit, the report said. <laughs> You know what? What's you know what's funny about that is Ryan Selkis uh, sold through Bitcoin under the bus a couple of years back. I'm not going to get into it, but do not trust Ryan Selkis. He's already, he's demonstrated his bad faith towards Bitcoin on several occasions. It got to the point where I had to stop following him. He's turned as far as I can tell. He's turned into a complete Ethereum head. I don't know. So yeah, he's correct about everything that he said, but the fact of the matter is. Uh, He's not on Bitcoin's side, so don't trust him. Bitstamp has removed the original tweet it posted following the report's publication on December the 8th and referred to parts of the language and content in the report as inconsistent with the firm's values. The firm added that it believes some aspects were disrespectful towards parts of the community. In response, Misari CEO said on Twitter he was going for a humorous tone to keep readers engaged. The report is 134 pages long. However, he doubled down on his XRP view, referring to the token as snake oil and adding that it was unlikely he would change his opinion in the future. Members of the XRP army were generally supportive of Bitstamp statement, of course, calling it a quick and thoughtful action. The exchange may have been responsible responding to Selkis's view on XRP or the seemingly unprofessional language peppered throughout the report. <clears throat> the Missouri CEO used the F-bomb five times and the shit-bomb nine times. What are we, six years old? <laughs> really? God, your propriety is Victorian. Come on, dude. Bitstamp may have expected a more cerebral pro piece from the analysis versus yearly company hot takes, said Silkus. I don't blame them for being caught off guard. In last year's crypto theses for 2020, Selka said he hated XRP but did not label the token as toxic. In fact, he said at the time that XRP had tremendous and surprising staying power. See, this is what I'm talking about when it comes to Ryan, all right? Be careful with this dude. At least one crypto figure stepped in to defend the Missouri CEO, Samson Moe, the chief strategy officer at Blockstream, who is a well-known Bitcoin maximalist and opponent of shitcoins, argued Selkis did nothing wrong. Samson. You don't remember, you know, I like Samson. Samson, I do like. But Ryan, yeah, he's, he's, he's a problem child. Bitstamp's decision to cancel Selkis was supported by other Twitter users. Quote, impressed to see you acknowledge customers' opinions on these matters, Bitstamp said Shane Schofeld, 
would hope as a sponsor of Mazzari, you could remind them that everyone has biases. This is not the first time the Mazzari CEO has been on the receiving end of attacks by the XRP Army. Last January, he allegedly received threatening phone calls after the firm published a a critical analysis of XRP. So there you go. And engaging with the XRP Army is about as toxic as it gets. I mean, honestly... They thought Bitcoin maximalists were toxic. You should get a get a load of these guys. They are that's a horrendous group of people over there, man. Pro blockchain congressman asked E C for clarity on crypto custody. Will Gotstingen is writing this one for decrypt.co sometime on the ninth. Uh, a group of nine congressmen has signed a letter addressed to SEC Chairman Jay Clayton asking for more clarity around the broker-dealer applications for companies in the crypto space. The signatories include Tom Emmer, Bill Foster, David Schweikert, Darren Soto, uh, let's see, Warren Davidson, Ted Budd, Ralph Norman, Ro Khanna, uh, and then Dan Crenshaw. This is a comp- this seems to be a fairly a fairly Bipartisan mix. There's several Democrats and several Republicans in this letter, and they're all concerned. That's good. According to a press release from Tom Emmer's office, the congressman requests three things. First, issue a formal clarification that banks may act as good control locations for the custody of digital securities. Second, advise FINRA on the specific criteria that must be met for broker-dealers to custody digital securities for their customers and for their own account. Third, instruct FINRA to approve broker-dealer applications that meet those requirements in order for a company to issue securities aimed at U.S. investors, either conventional, like stocks, or digital, like blockchain. It has to register with the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, or FINRA, a self-regulatory organization authorized by the government to grant official broker-dealer status. Once a company becomes a broker-dealer in the eyes of FINRA, it could begin buying and selling securities for clients and or itself, as well as hold digital securities. But FINRA may be unaware what to do with cryptocurrency firms. The letter to Clayton asserts that in the absence of guidance from the SEC, FINRA has not outright denied any broker-dealer applications that involve the custody of digital securities, which would render the application eligible for appeal. Instead, the representatives claim those applications have been in a state of limbo. As evidence... They point out that the SEC and FINRA issued a joint statement back in July of 2019 and acknowledged that more and more companies were looking to hold digital securities, but that neither organization had done much about it in a way of providing guidance. The congressmen are asking that the SEC help FINRA guide guide qualifying companies toward becoming approved broker-dealers and that the SEC explicitly confirmed that banks can hold digital securities something the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, an office of the United States Treasury that's currently being run by former Coinbase executive Brian Brooks, has already suggested. Well, you know, all this really tells me is that these people do not have the, the talent in place to be able to make decisions on this. And that what I think that their real failure has been is not to hire more people in, you know, in that understand this technology and the ramifications of the technology. I think that's where the failure is. They're sitting there thinking that they, they can do it. They can do it, but they can't because they don't, they have no freaking clue what's going on here. So, and that's going to be dangerous back, you know, on into the future, but we just don't know how yet. 
<laughs> low income oyster protocol founder allegedly has ten million dollar yacht full of gold bars. Samuel Haig, tell us about it from Coin Telegraph. This was written when? Oh, sometime yesterday. Amir Berno Elamani, the founder of the now defunct cryptocurrency scheme Oyster Protocol, has been arrested and charged for what the Department of Justice describes as a multi-million dollar tax evasion scheme. On December the 9th, the DOJ announced it had unsealed an indictment charging El Mani, who is also known as Bruno Block, with tax evasion. The document also notes separate civil charges filed against Elami uh, by the SEC. He was arrested on the same day. The indictment alleges that the 28-year-old made millions of dollars from selling oyster pearl tokens, however, failed to report said earnings to the IRS and used shell companies to obfuscate the paper trail pertaining to his income. Quote, Elmani made millions of dollars from the sale of a new cryptocurrency, but evaded reporting that income to the IRS, including by filing a false tax return, operating his business and owning assets through pseudonymous and shell companies, obtaining income through nominees and dealing in gold and cash. Elmani's 2017 tax return claimed he earned just $15,000 that year, while his 2018 return claimed a zero income. Good Lord, if you're going to do this shit, you might want to come up with better than zero income. FBI Asset Director William Sweeney noted that despite Elamani's uh, minimal reported income in 2018, he still managed to spend over $10 million for the purchase of yachts. Elamani is believed to have kept gold bars in a safe on his yacht and have used large sums of cash to pay for personal expenses. The DOJ also believes he spent more than $700,000 on purchasing two homes. Quote, after today's arrest... He won't be sailing anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> the off-the-cuff remarks here. Uh, the, uh, the indictment alleges that El Mani began promoting his Pearl tokens in September 2018 under his digital alias, claiming that the tokens would power an online data storage platform dubbed Oyster Protocol. Do you remember? Do you remember? El Mani then launched an ICO through a shell company not associated with his true name, revealing that he would also take a founder's share of the project's tokens. In June of 2018, El Mani asserted he would retain millions of the tokens as his ownership stake and would need to move the tokens between wallets under his control to avoid being double taxed. However, the DOJ alleges, quote, Elmani used friends and families, family as nominees to receive cryptocurrency proceeds and transfer them or United States currency to his own accounts, end quote. The government also alleged that Elmani minted new Pearl tokens into existence despite claiming the project's supply was fixed in October of 2018 before offloading the tokens on exchanges. The exchanges suspended and delisted Pearl in response to Elmani's actions, resulting in the token's value plummeting and Pearl investors suffering significant losses. Oh, you burned your bags, bro. In November, Cointelegraph reported that a former Microsoft employee had been sentenced to nine years in prison for stealing $10 million in digital value from his employer and using crypto assets to obscure the paper trail from his ill-gotten gains, the DOJ then described the proceedings as the United as the United States' first Bitcoin case that has a tax component to it. Interesting. Well, this is why Bitcoin. If you remember Oyster Protocol, you will also remember all the Bitcoin maximalists standing up and shouting "scam." We were right. Everybody else was wrong. Deal with it. India's banks are once more serving crypto traders and exchanges. Jesus, can you people make up your freaking mind? This was sometime this morning. By Coindesk, written by Amkar Godbol, says, 
top, top institutions such as State Bank of India, ICICI Bank, HDFC Bank, and Yes Bank are allowing customers to use their bank accounts to fund cryptocurrency trading. They are further offering various facilities to cryptocurrency exchanges, sources familiar with the matter told the Economic Times. Accounts of major exchanges have been suspended after the Reserve Bank of India issued an order barring banks from using their systems for cryptocurrency-related transactions back in April of 2018. The ban was quashed by the Supreme Court earlier this year. Quote, banks earlier took a cautious approach even after the Supreme Court overruled the central bank's crypto ban in March. Uh, founder and CEO of Bangalore-based exchange bit, exchange bit BNS told Coindesk in an email, quote, but with time and price momentum around Bitcoin, a lot more clients started demanding them to open up an account specific to crypto trading and banks have started opening them up now. Bitcoin recently rose to new record high of 19920 Topping the previous peak of 19783 reached in December of 2017. I'm glad it didn't go farther than that. Just saying. Summit Gupta, CEO of Mumbai-based cryptocurrency exchange CoinDCX, confirmed <clears throat> via WhatsApp that his exchange has been collaborating with multiple banking partners to build and develop business services ever since the Supreme Court was overturned. Meanwhile... Nishal Shetty, CEO of Binance-backed cryptocurrency exchange WizirX, told Coindesk that banks have reached out to, to the company to offer working capital or other loans and financial services. A banker, however, told the Economic Times that his bank is still cautious while dealing with cryptocurrency exchanges and serves only a select few so far. Coindesk reached out to HDFC Bank and State Bank of India for comment on the matter, but did not receive response by press time. All right. So there you go. India flip-flopping yet one more freaking time, dude. It's just it's pathetic. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, this morning's train wrecked is brought to you by your good friend Peter Schiff, who says, and this was a couple of days ago, Wall Street rains on the Bitcoin parade as city downgrades MicroStrategy to a sell. The stock market is practically a casino anyway. No need for Michael Saylor to make the transformation official by borrowing $400 million to gamble on Bitcoin. I bet the wager never takes place. Michael Saylor's response, increase the whole thing by $150 million. Yes, indeedy. What the hell is Peter Schiff piping up about? I don't know. Let's find out. Sam Borgi is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. City downgrades MicroStrategy stock after bold Bitcoin bet. Now, this is back on December the 8th. So shares of MicroStrategy fell on Tuesday after Citibank reportedly downgraded the business intelligence firm over its disproportionate Bitcoin focus. City analyst Tyler Radke issued a sell rating on MSTR shortly after the company announced it was raising more money to buy Bitcoin. Radke says CEO Michael Saylor's disproportionate focus on Bitcoin puts investors at considerable risk, especially after an overextended rally in, or rally since September. Quote, uh, MSTR's Bitcoin investment has returned $250 million or $26 a share or 20% uh, towards its stock since August of uh, 2020, 
while impressive, it pales in comparison to the 172% return in the stock. At the current stock price, our analyst or analysis suggests that the market is pricing in much more optimistic valuation scenarios for the core business and Bitcoin. End quote. MicroStrategy's share price has been surging since August when the company first announces Bitcoin Play. Many investors view uh, MSTRs as an, as an indirect investment in Bitcoin given the company's vast digital currency reserves. But on Monday, MicroStrategy revealed plans to allocate yet another $400 million to its Bitcoin treasuries. But to do so, the company has to plan to issue $400 million in convertible senior notes. As Cointelegraph reported, $400 million would increase the company's Bitcoin reserves by more than 20,800 BTC and way more than that if you were to buy right now at uh, during this dip. MicroStrategy is by far the biggest corporate holder of Bitcoin and it currently has 40,824 BTC on its book worth a combined 769.2 million. Institutional investors and corporations are turning to Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation and dollar instability. So, okay. You know, let's get back to this analysis, analysis statement. MSTR's Bitcoin investment has returned $250 million worth, uh, which is 20% towards its stock, okay, since August. And it says, while impressive, it pales in comparison to the 172% return in the stock, okay? So I, I, I don't get what he's saying here. I honestly don't. If 172% increase in the stock is total, then if you subtract, I guess, 20% from that, then without Bitcoin, the company would have done 152% on its stock. I don't think that that's true. I think that there was a synergy there when they announced they were getting into Bitcoin that caused 150 to 172% rise in their stock. And it wasn't just the Bitcoin on the books. I believe that this is a terrible analysis. Is it because I'm just like a Mike fan? No, not really. I've been really uh, skeptical of some of his actions as of late, but the guy does make me smile. Why? Well, because what was his response? Well, let's find out. CoinDesk, Kevin Reynolds is going to tell us that MicroStrategy raising cash to buy more Bitcoin boosts notes offering to $550 million. This was in on December the 9th. So it says the company announced its unsecured convertible senior notes will pay out at 0.75%. Well, it's better than a savings account, but dude, really, this is a steal for Mike. In interest annually to qualified institutional buyers, investors with at least $100 million of assets under management who buy in. MicroStrategy plans on selling $550 million of the debt instruments, which is a significant markup from the $400 million targeted in the original Monday announcement. MicroStrategy's Bitcoin First Treasury Reserve Policy, which saw the 31-year-old company plunk $475 million of excess cash into the cryptocurrency, has pushed NASDAQ-listed MSTR shares higher for weeks, but MSTR investors seem less certain in the wisdom of raising debt to buy more Bitcoin. On Tuesday, city analyst Tyler Radke downgraded MSTR to sell. The new debt target of $550 million stands in stark contrast to Radke's rebuke. When you've got so much money that you can just like throw another $150 million on the table to piss somebody off, dude, that's, that's, if, honestly, that's the way to use wealth. I, I, I have to say it. 
I, you know, I'm like not a fan of, of, you know, George Soros and shit, but honestly, that's just funny. It's like he downgrades the stock and then, and then Mike goes, okay, well then we're going to add $150 million to it. Dude, the, the size brass balls on this man is insane. And I can be critical of him all I, all I like, but I got to admit this shit makes me laugh. <laughs> Because he just basically screwed Tyler Radke and his little analist ass. And it was it's just funny to watch. It really is. Because he's probably going to make out like bandits. I'm still not certain why it is that his investors have a problem with this. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to suggest it to you, my pleb or plebe brethren. Do not go get a credit card and buy Bitcoin with it. Because you're going to be able to arbitrage off of the... Uh, interest rates. Please don't. If you if you're going to do it anyway and 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 you do do it anyway, may God be with you, but you didn't get that shit from me. I'm definitely not the person that's going to tell you to go do stupid shit like that. For these people that live in this world though, his access to debt is completely different than our access to debt, right? His debt is insanely cheap. And he can service that debt for an insanely long time. He can basically wait it out. And as other people have pointed out, this looks like a speculative attack on fiat. And if it is, then it's one of the very first ones of any notable size to occur in the space. If other inst- if this works for him, expect other institutions to follow suit and buy or purchase really cheap debt to buy an asset that pushes that asset price up to the point that they don't have to worry about their debt anymore, yet instead of paying off the debt, still service the debt and do it again and again and again and again. Death by a thousand paper cuts is what we're looking at here. And that's going to do it for the morning round. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's going to do it for your smoldering pile. And last but not least, Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes, who says, I wanted to be a multimillionaire just like my dad. He always wanted to be a multimillionaire too. The legend of the dad joke. All right, man, we're already over by a couple of minutes, so I'm just go ahead and cut it, cut it here. Have a good weekend. Uh, don't freak out, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.